This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Well, it's a haunting audio history for Danielle Smith. The, the biggest challenge right now is that it's it's her own. It's her own words that are coming back to bite her. She wants to stay on as Alberta's premier, the leader of the United Conservative Party. But it's looking like a tougher and tougher task, as we'll talk about today on the show. Welcome to Real Talk. Ryan Jesperson here with John Hicks, Charles Adler joining us in just a moment. And then Athabasca University professor and podcaster, Dr. Josie Ogier, will join me in studio for the second half of today's show. You've likely been seeing the coverage over the past day or so. Audio has surfaced, a podcast, a show that was hosted by Alberta's... United Conservative Party leader, she's been Premier, Danielle Smith, wherein she invokes the Holocaust, followers of Adolf Hitler, in the context of a conversation around vaccines. Even worse, she drags in the legacy of the poppy, drawing the ire in a very unusual circumstance of both B'nai B'rith, the Jewish advocacy group, and the Canadian Legion, Canada's veterans. It's a big mess. She's issued a statement. She says that she's always been a friend of the Jewish community and of Israel. Of course, her opponents not only releasing this audio themselves, but salivating at the prospect that that this could be too high of a hill to climb. People like political columnist Graham Thompson are starting to wonder if even the conservatives win this election on May 29th, is it possible that Danielle Smith could face a hostile caucus, a revolt, so to speak? Could her leadership be limited even with an electoral win on May 29th? We're going to get into that today. Plus, Canada expelling a Chinese diplomat. This after the family of Conservative MP Michael Chong was targeted, harassed, Now, the Canadian government waffled on this a little bit. You've heard from Minister Melanie Jolie in days past who said that, hey, we're weighing all of the implications. We're considering everything when it comes to ruffling China's feathers. But ultimately, it comes down to this. Canada's democracy must be protected. China already firing back, not literally, but a Canadian diplomat being named persona non grata in China. Charles Adler is going to chime in on that in just a second. This episode of Real Talk is presented by our friends at Danatech. I want to tell you a little bit about Danatech, a leader in the safety training space for over 30 years. Today, they're proud to count themselves among the foremost providers of online safety courses. Danatech blends deep cross-industry expertise with proprietary learning management system technology that's oftentimes referred to as LMS tech. It makes their courses stand out in the industry while creating an easy, seamless training experience for training managers and learners alike. If you need to keep your team safe and your business compliant, Danatech is your reliable safety training partner with a track record of trust. You can learn more today at danatech.com. Charles Adler in one minute, first to set the table for this conversation. Here's audio. Uh, This was from November of 2021. This is before Danielle Smith was leader of the UCP and of course, premier. This was just after she walked away from her career in talk radio. She was in conversation with a man by the name of Andrew Royland, who's a Uh, An entrepreneur, an investment advisor, they were talking about his family's history coming out of Europe, of course, the context of World War II, and, well, here's where Danielle Smith got herself into trouble. I noticed you're not wearing a poppy, I'm not wearing a poppy, but they ruined it for me this year. The the political leaders standing on their soapbox, pretending that they care about all the things that you just talked about, pretending they understand the sacrifice, and not understanding that their actions are exactly the actions that uh, our brave men and women in uniform are fighting against. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch the Netflix series, How to Become a Tyrant, but it starts with Hitler in the first episode. And it's absolutely appalling and shocking how, uh, and it's one, one academic says, 
Um, I know so many people would say, and he, they must have filmed this before COVID. So many people say that they would not have succumbed to the charms of a tyrant, somebody telling them that they have all the answers. And he said, I guarantee you would. And that's the test here is we've seen it. We have 75% of the public who say not only hit me, but hit me harder and uh, keep me away from those dirty unvaxxed. And even on the cover of the Toronto Star, saying, I want people who are on backs to get sick and die, and I don't even care. I don't want them to get treatment. We're already hearing about people being denied treatment for not being vaccinated, being taken off the organ donor list. What are we becoming? What that's are we becoming? Vile. That's, that's a- that- So there it is. Charles Adler joins us every week here on Real Talk. Today, he chimes in from Vancouver, B.C., Charles, your thoughts when you first heard that clip? It's not the first clip that's gotten our former colleague in trouble. How bad is this one? If you don't mind, let me just offer some some personal uh, context. Um, yesterday was uh, an anniversary day. Uh, it was uh, on May 8th in uh, 1945 that uh, my parents, many other people, found out uh, that they would not be murdered. That is to say, found out that the Nazi forces uh, were surrendering. So this is a week where we talk about VE Day, victory over Europe. But to boil it right down to what matters most, um, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, uh, uh, survived uh, in a concentration camp. My paternal grandmother was murdered at Auschwitz. But my maternal grandmother told me that I should take every opportunity for the rest of my life to thank Canadian forces. That's what the poppy is about. To thank Canadian forces for her life, the lives of my parents, and therefore my own. For Danielle Smith uh, to say that she's not wearing a poppy because she's not happy with Canadian government policy, there could not be a deeper insult. And I want to thank Don Braid who I know watches these podcasts for making sure that that was front and center. Yes, of course, the talking about Hitler and followers, and we'll talk about that. That's the that's the piece that gets the most amount of attention. But the most amount of my attention goes to the business of Danielle Smith politicizing the poppy and dumping on those who sacrificed, without whom so many of us would not even be alive. Thank you, Don Braid of the Calgary Herald. Let me read this quick statement. This is from the Royal Canadian Legion. Uh, The poppy is a symbol of remembrance of those who have served Canada and made the supreme sacrifice in the name of democracy. It has no role in politics. The sacrifices made by those whom the poppy represents have safeguarded the rights and freedoms that Canadians enjoy today. Now, the premier's office released a statement yesterday addressing this. She says, I've always been a friend of the Jewish community. She says, I've always been a friend of Israel. Of course, she pissed off Canadian veterans as well. So this is one that's coming on two fronts. And then the minute that journalists had a chance to ask her questions, you know that this is one of the ones that was going to be at the top of the list. And that was exactly the case. What you're going to hear first, the voice of a journalist from CTV Calgary. Here's the premier or the leader of the UCP yesterday. Through the first caller. Thank you. First caller is Tyson Fedora, CPV Calgary. Uh, apologies here. I thought it was going to be a little later down here. But, Premier, I just want to ask you, you were vaccinated in Arizona. You and your husband operated a restaurant in High River at the time of the comments that have been circulating. You were following these so-called tyrannical measures set out by your predecessor, Jason Kenney, called the Restriction Exemption Program. So you have to ensure guests are vaccinated before dining. If you say vaccinated Albertans are followers of Hitler, would you include yourself as Premier? as a follower of Hitler, and why didn't you stand up against those measures from Jason Kenney? Well, I've issued a statement regarding my comments. I've always remained a friend to the Jewish community, to Israel, and to our veterans, and I would ask you to reach out to my office for a copy of my statement. Is that going to fly, Charles? I mean, how how damaging could this be, number one, to the campaign, uh, number two, to Daniel Smith's political career? Her her comments, I call... uh lake of, of Hitler, and the many people outside of Alberta who don't understand what I'm talking about. I think everyone understands in Alberta when I refer to the lake of fire comment that got her into a massive amount of political trouble years ago. Uh, this was far worse than lake of fire. This is exponentially, monumentally uh, 
worse. And so I call this her Lake of Hitler uh, moment. Um, if this is in trouble, I don't know what is, because let's just look at the principle here. Uh, she is on the one hand saying that three quarters of the people of Alberta are, are lemmings, are, are, are sheep, mindlessly following uh, the government, which is a dictatorship. That's what she's saying, three quarters of Alberta. And that means virtually everyone who's watching this and listening to this podcast are, are just mindless sheep. So that's what she thinks of the people. This, And I'm trying to weigh my words here because this is so serious. This phony, to use a German word, ersatz, false. This false grassroots politician with this ridiculously condescending attitude toward three quarters of the public. So she's saying that three quarters of the Alberta public are mindless sheep and uh, for following uh, orders, as it were. And now she's saying, let's just get past all this and uh, focus on what I want to focus on. So I, I just have a trouble just intellectually. This is so dishonest. She's saying that three quarters of the people are sheep, but just move on, ignore this and follow what I'm saying. So she's still treating them like sheep. If, if, a, if a public official in a democracy wants to tell the public that they are just mindless sheep, you followed one thing a couple of years ago, now you're, you're, now you're to follow me. She's just, I hate to put it this way, but I, I don't know how else to put it. She's psychologically unfit to lead people in a democracy at any level, mayor, MLA, you name it. Ryan, she told you a number of years ago that she was unelectable. I think that when she said that to you, she had clarity. Right now, she doesn't, but the public has to. They cannot pretend that whatever she said 10 minutes before she became leader doesn't matter, that the only thing that matters is what's on the prompter now. And we also know this from doing podcasts ourselves. When you're podcasting and you're talking to the people who are followers, you're developing a personal connection with them. That's when you're telling your truths. The truth isn't on the teleprompter that she's reading today. The truth is what she was saying in that hideous audio in her Lake of Hitler moment. Charles, I uh, let me give some folks the context, uh, you know, in the off chance that somebody doesn't listen to every single second of radio and podcast that you and I do together. Um, but you and I and Danielle and many others were out in Toronto at that time, all of us employed by Global, by Chorus, uh, covering the federal election in 2019. And the night before the election, a whole bunch of us were out for beers. You, me, Danielle, Sapria, Devetti was there. Uh, Brad Wall was there, former premier of Saskatchewan, and a whole bunch of others, Farah Nasser. You know, I mean, there was a bunch of people. And, and we were having some fun. Uh, with our then radio colleague, Danielle Smith. She was hosting out of Calgary. I was hosting out of Edmonton. And, and I asked her, uh, Brad Wall was there chuckling at the time. And I said, when are you going to run again? I said, when, when are you, you going to take another shot at becoming premier? And she laughed and uh, referenced the floor crossing. And, and she said, ah, she said, you know, I'm unelectable. And I don't know if she believed it at the time when she said it. And some people at the table went, now, oh, come on. And other people at the table just kind of nodded. And it was an interesting moment. It obviously stuck with me. It obviously stuck with you. But here's the thing is you have to wonder if maybe the people in her corner and the people that, that helped her win uh, a leadership race, that may have been an unlikely win at the beginning. I mean, I think some people are still wrapping their minds around how Travis Taves lost. Uh, as an aside, I mean, if I'm going to go off on a rant, I mean, where was Travis Taves' research team, by the way? Why wasn't Travis Taves' leadership team the one releasing all these videos, not the Alberta NDP? But I digress. A huge missed opportunity for the Taves camp. But that's not the point. I bet you a whole bunch of people got in her ear and said, you're not unelectable. You may be unelectable to a certain group of people, but there's an entirely other group of people. There's a whole bunch of people that could probably carry you to victory. And if you want that to be the case, here's the tone you have to take. Here's the positions you have to hold. Here's the stuff you have to say. 
And there was this period of time from when she left Chorus Radio to right around the time she started seeking the leadership of the UCP, where she was uh, releasing, you know, these different shows and podcasts on different platforms. She did some work with Alberta Enterprise Group. People are finding these these gems everywhere. I mean, it says a lot that it's her political opponents that are digging them up, not her political supporters. But it, it appears to me as though she started blatantly spelling out the exact types of positions that she knew would resonate with the grassroots fringe, and that is what it is, but there's enough of them to make noise in politics, and she pursued that vote in the goal with the end goal of becoming electable again. And now I think, now that this is all being put, served up in front, on a platter in front of the mainstream, this is why she's getting so badly damaged by it. I think that it was a misplay at the beginning to try to build a base of support, and now it could uh, come back to bite her and haunt her when it comes to the general election. What do you think? I think your dad is a general doctor, a general practitioner, and I think his son is a pathologist. <laughs> I think you've just done a wonderful job as a coroner. Uh, you have uh, done the autopsy. Uh, you've delivered the results. Uh, you've uh, respected science. Uh, what you're giving us is the cold, hard facts of life, the cold, hard facts of a phony life of a person who thinks of three quarters of the people as sheep, and she thought she could meet a number of sheep on the way back to active politics. And now she's just sitting there wondering how many people are still sheepishly going to follow her hypocrisy, her nonsense, and her Hitler of Lake and Lake of Hitler moment. And I, I don't mean to obsess about it, except that I don't know a single human being, Ryan, maybe you do, but I, in my personal life, I don't know a single human being who I respect uh, who would say that if you are vaxxed and your parents are vaxxed and your, 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 your family is vaxxed and, and the people following this are vaxxed and we, we care about um, our children, we, we care about our health, if we care about all of those things, in other words, life itself, that, that makes us followers of Hitler. I'm not going to get past this. Uh, got some comments here online. Uh, interesting ones. Uh, you know, Dennis, for example, says the problem is small town Alberta loves conservatives no matter what they say, no matter what they do. They're going to vote conservative for their oil and gas jobs. Uh, he says, look, you know, as an example, in St. Albert, they just voted uh, Michael Cooper, St. Albert's best politician, which is true, Charles. Uh, Lorne, uh, invoking Ralph Klein, says you can shoot, shovel and shut up your comments. Uh, but the trouble is that someone will dig them up. Now, here's the premier's statement, and I wanted to read this. It's interesting. Uh, yesterday, she says, as everyone knows, I was against the use of vaccine mandates during COVID. She can't deny it. So, of course, she's going to say that. As everybody knows, she's right about that. She goes on to say, however, the horrors of the Holocaust are without precedent, and no one should make any modern-day comparisons that minimize the experience of the Holocaust and suffering under Hitler, nor the sacrifice of our veterans. She goes on and on and on. But here's the thing I wanted to ask you about. She says, I apologize for any offensive language used regarding this issue made while on talk radio or podcast during my previous career. You and I talked about this last week, right? About, about this, this UCP candidate uh, in Southern Alberta that said basically she wants to get ahead of an issue. And by the way, isn't it incredible how fast this news cycle is, is moving that nobody even remembers that story from like four days ago? It's why people are going to want to make sure that they're paying attention to our podcast and YouTube archive. We've got all the issues covered. We're keeping up as best we can. But that candidate, to remind our audience, basically said, I want to apologize. She said, I didn't see myself having a career in politics, a front-facing career. Over the course of a number of different occasions, I'm paraphrasing, over the course of a number of occasions, I may have said things on social media, uh, you know, based out of ignorance. My, my paraphrase of what she said was, I've grown up, I've learned, I've met more people, and my positions on a lot of issues have changed, and I want to apologize for anything I've said that was offensive. And you and I and, and our audience debated on whether or not an apology like that flies. Uh, I, I heard Corey Hogan on The Strategist refer to it as, as a social media bankruptcy claim. In other words, you look back and you say, anything in the past is no longer an issue moving forward. I have declared social media bankruptcy. 
Now here the premier, or I should say technically the leader of the UCP during the election, says, I want to apologize for any offensive language made while on talk radio or podcast during my previous career. I mean, that's a pretty significant chunk of time, pretty significant period of time. <laughs> it is true. The job of a talk host is to be a provocateur. So how do you reconcile the two? And most importantly, this is what her team cares about. Will the public buy it? Well, first of all, uh, <laughs> Ryan, uh, it ain't bragging if you can do it. Uh, b- both of us uh, have a pretty solid track record in being provocateurs and, and building massive audiences and massive amounts of money for our employers. And uh, just to be fair, uh, they also compensated us uh, very well. They compensated you better Danielle than me, Smith Adler. Well. You way better right, than me. In, in it, well, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a little bit. I'm a little <laughs> bit older. Uh, just a just a tad. Here, here's the here's the thing. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, this. This to me is so laughable that uh, she can pretend that she was one thing yesterday and she's another thing today because she's a provocateur. There are many ways of provoking people. There are many ways of provoking people into a conversation. Here I'm going to say it. Danielle Smith, in terms of her basic intelligence, is is high intel. Okay, uh, She's uh, other, other level. She's much smarter than the average. The idea that the only way that she can garner an audience to be a provocateur is to have these Lake of, of Hitler moments is absolutely ridiculous. Ryan, have you ever managed to build an audience without saying to three quarters of them that they're 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 sheepish followers of Hitler? I could go on and the other things that you know, dumping all over the the poppy. You know, I, there there are so many different examples. I mean, all you have to do is uh, go into Twitter, go into Facebook. There, there, it's it's legion. Uh, the amount of the amount of things that she has said. So the the idea that all is to be forgiven with a um, with a, an apology read on the the prompter is ridiculous. And besides, you and I have both agreed a thousand times that conditional apologies are worthless. You know, I apologize to you if you're offended at being called a Nazi or a Nazi follower. Right? If you're offended by that, but what what is that? I mean, you know, in an ethics class, does that fly? I mean, I just to me, this is a they're they're in a they're in a real conundrum, Chuck. It's it's the exact same thing that we've talked about with every. I mean, you watch what Pierre Polyev is doing right now, and 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 he's quietly he's quietly dialing some things back. Have you noticed? Right? He well, did sure, what he, but he, did what he all, had to do. It's all on videotape. He's provided the Liberal Party. Sure, uh, and and they're they're in big trouble, especially with the, the story that we may or may not get to talk about. By the way, let me just let me just throw this out there. Uh, Melanie Jolie said last week that uh, that there there are other factors. It's not just about you. She said to. Michael Chong, this business of the, whether or not to uh, throw out uh, uh, the guy who was uh, threatening uh, Michael Chong's uh, family. Uh, Melanie Jolie, this is from me to you. Uh, Canada's a real country. I know that you believe Canada's a real country, but Canada stops being a real country when it doesn't throw out sons of bitches who want to threaten our members of parliament or anybody else, whether you're an MP or a- anybody else, if you're a regular Canadian, anyone who comes into this country and threatens our people or threatens their families is out of here. There are no other factors. Real countries, serious countries, don't say, well, on the other hand, there's a there's a bucket of wheat that we might not be able to sell China if we uh, throw this bastard out. I'm sorry. Real countries don't do that. Well, let's get into this, uh, Charles, and and uh, you know we'll obviously leave this to our audience to to let us know what they think about this story out of Alberta. You know, I mean, we've got a, in our live chat right now, uh, uh, Linda wants to you know point out that I have omitted the last line. I mean, I I feel like maybe I'm going a little bit easy on Danielle Smith, but if Linda wants me to sink my teeth into the next one, this doesn't help her more. Linda, she says Danielle said, I would hope we can all move on to talk about issues that currently matter to Albertans and their families. There are issues that matter to. Albertans right now, inflation, healthcare, jobs, the economy, that all matters, obviously. And we do talk about that a lot, but it also matters to Albertans to know whether or not the elected leader of the province is going to leverage the poppy and decide whether or not to wear it based on how they're feeling at that moment in time about public health policy. That is a major point. That is an insight into leadership. That is what you would call a case study, Linda. And people want to know, is the leader of this province, is the premier of Alberta going to embarrass us in future when it comes to issues where there's 
there's broad consensus. I mean, the poppy is a big deal. If I can speak candidly about it for a second, you and I both worked in TV for a long time. I had a colleague, I won't mention their name, obviously, but I remember a number of years ago, a heated conversation, a heated conversation with station management where the reporter insisted on wearing a white poppy on air. And the position of the TV station was like hell, you're going to wear a white poppy. And the reporter, the journalist made a compelling case. Well, I believe in peace and I don't believe in war and conflict. And I want to stand up for my values. And the white poppy is an accepted symbol of peace. Doesn't matter. Station management didn't want to hear it. It didn't matter if there was a compelling case for it because the statement was that when that broadcast went out to thousands of people with anything other than the red poppy, it was a hornet's nest for the station and its advertisers. I mean, it just goes to show the poppy represents something perhaps even more than what we realize. And that's why this is such a big deal. Chuck, you, let's talk about Ryan, that. I, I can, I can, I, I can, you know, the, the poppy business, but let me just be clear. Cause you know, people say that sometimes I've got authoritarian instincts and they maybe maybe they've got a case i mean i had uh, someone uh, wanting to sit there uh, with me uh, during uh, just days before remembrance day in the studio uh, the issue had nothing to do with uh, remembrance day but uh, he was sitting there with a white uh, poppy on and i said please remove uh, the white uh, poppy and he said well it's my it's my right to wear it i said it is your right to wear it but it's it's going to be very very difficult for me to have any respect for you while i'm talking to you as long as you wear the white poppy, he said the same thing. It was about peace. And I said, excuse me, there would be no peace. There would be no planet. You would not be able to be on the show. I would not be alive if it weren't for the red poppy. And I know that you don't understand that, sir. But with all due respect, if you do not remove the white poppy, uh, you can remove yourself from this studio and go have your interview with someone else. Now, people can make their own judgments as to whether or not uh, that was a fair thing for me to do or unfair. But, but that's that's how I feel about the poppy. Chuck, I want to get you on the record with this before we thank you for your time uh, in, in a, a move that uh, perhaps shows Ottawa dragging its feet. Uh, you know, Canada has officially expelled Chinese diplomat Zhao Wei. This is related to the story of, of conservative MP Michael Chong's family uh, being pressured and influenced. Uh, obviously, you know, whether or not uh, or when the prime minister knew about this is becoming more and more relevant. This is a story that continues to be an issue for Justin Trudeau and the liberals and in what China is describing as a reciprocal countermeasure. Uh, Canadian diplomat Jennifer Lynn Lalonde has been declared persona non grata. She's got to leave Shanghai by May 13th. What is the number one thing that the average Canadian needs to be focusing on on this story? What is the most relevant detail right now? The most relevant thing for the average Canadian is that we are a real country and we take real actions when our people are threatened, no matter who threatens them. So whether it's a it's a a man with with a gun who happens to be Canadian, or whether it's a, a man with the gun of the People's Republic of China who happens to be Chinese in our country, nobody is welcome on Canadian soil who wants to threaten our people or their families in any other country, including China. It's about time that Canada did this. It's 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 too late in my politically in my opinion. It's it's too late, but I'm glad that it was done. And the message uh, to uh, China is um, you can do what you want to do in China. You can't do it in Canada and you can't be cold bloodedly threatening the families of Canadians without consequences. And if it means that a bushel of wheat gets sold to some other country other than China, if, if, if you want to you know, try to penalize us uh, that way, uh, that's fine. Uh, we've made bigger sacrifices. We talked about World War II earlier. No country among the allies. No country among the allies sacrificed more per capita than this country. This is a real country. We have a real heritage that we're proud of. And we don't go out of our way uh, to threaten the families of Chinese people or any people. This is the promised land for the Adlers and millions of others. And if China doesn't get that, that's China's problem. I don't wish to make China's problem our problem. That's Canadian common sense. From Charles Adler, who joins us typically on Mondays, today on Tuesday, every week, right here on Real Talk. Be well, my man. Thank you, Brian. This conversation was presented by Canada's longest-running nonfiction film festival. That's Northwest Fest. You can check them out online today, the full lineup at northwestfest.ca. 
Uh, it runs all the way through to May 14th. More than two dozen feature films, including Only in Theaters, which is coming up screening on Wednesday afternoon. If you're listening to us live or today on Tuesday, that's tomorrow. Coming up, we spoke with Raphael Smarge, the director. It's the family fight to save a legendary Los Angeles cinema. A wonderful story. It's only in theaters. Real Talk Patreon supporters, check your email. You've got a promo code to go check out that film for free. Now, you can also stick around and join for the Rainbow Visions Film Festival, which for the first time is running alongside Northwest Fest, which is a great opportunity. It starts May 12th, also at Metro Cinema. You can find all the details again at northwestfest.ca. And don't miss our conversation coming up on Friday with filmmaker and wonderful friend of this show, Omar Mualam. He's going to talk to us about his film, The Lebanese Burger Mafia. That's going to be closing out Northwest Fest coming up this weekend. Again, northwestfest.ca. Hey, is it time to treat yourself to a little organization? Are you looking to maybe sort of dampen the chaos on the home front? Can we recommend you take a couple of seconds today and check out californiaclosets.ca? Now, everybody knows California closets for the bedrooms and the workspaces and the living areas, and for good reason. I mean, the designs are incredible, more functional than you could possibly imagine, and more affordable than you might think. But I want to put California Closets Garage on your radar. You can find them on the website. Of course, they're doing a whole bunch of different stuff like storage cabinets and workbenches. But the beauty of working with California Closets, it's all custom. The garage is the workhorse of the home, so why not make it work a little harder for you? Get a free consultation today at californiaclosets.ca. Had a chance just a few days ago to grab lunch with the Monsma family. They're really incredible friends of Real Talk, and they are the family behind Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. Uh, Had a chance to learn a little bit more about the family's history in business. This thing started small and it's growing and growing and growing. Hundreds of families across the province, in particular Calgary, Edmonton and Central Alberta, trusting Grand Dog Essentials quality raw food to keep their beloved furry four-legged family members healthy. You know, this is the time of year where we start finding your pups maybe itching, biting at their paws. A lot of people look at the food being the cause, but it's possible that environmental allergies could be the culprit. That's why I want to tell you about their Four Leaf Rover Allergy Bundle. You can find it online. You go to the Shop Now link at granddog.ca for details. Also, be sure to check out their blog with great information like how to manage your dog's weight with a raw dog food diet. The promo code REALTALK knocks 10% off your first order delivered to your door at granddog.ca. Our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy are hiring, and they want to make sure that you know that if you have a goal to help Canada achieve its sustainable energy targets, if you would love to see a career start to build in front of your very eyes in green tech and green energy, take two seconds to check out kubienergy.ca today. They're Tesla certified. They're working across the prairie provinces And they're also partnering with Women Building Futures. This is an awesome program that specifically offers support for unemployed and underemployed women in connecting to careers that pay above a living wage. You can find the details at kubienergy.ca. And if you haven't yet made plans for Mother's Day, you know that Sunday is coming up. We don't want you to be caught without a plan. Take two seconds to check out the all-you-can-eat Mother's Day brunch at the Friesen Brothers Fresh Market locations. On May 13th and 14th, enjoy an all-you-can-eat brunch buffet featuring the absolute best of Friesen Brothers' delicious treats. Every mom in attendance will receive a beautiful flower to make the day extra special. All of this available for just $25 per person. You can make Mother's Day a memorable one at your local Friesen Brothers. You can find out more details at Friesen.com. That's F-R-E-S-O-N.com. We've been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time. You know, every once in a while, you you meet somebody that has a wealth of experience in, in life and in education and in storytelling And that's certainly the case with our next guest. Dr. Josie Auger is an associate professor in the Center of Interdisciplinary Studies in the Faculty of Humanities and Social Sciences at Athabasca University. 
Her current fields of study include indigenous studies, uh, and she recently completed an eight-part podcast series entitled Kika Big Squeewin. We're going to have you audit my pronunciation there. Focusing on why cultural values are so imperative and important to indigenous peoples involved in research. Thank you for joining us in studio today. Did I do okay on the pronunciation? Absolutely. What does that mean? So Kikapiksquiwin is a Cree word that means to have a future conversation. And so at the time when we were uh, writing up a proposal for Shirk and having support from Athabasca University, um, a group of us, uh, Myra Tate, Carolyn Green, and Dr. Nisha Nath, also uh, we wrote the uh, podcast, the proposal, which included having a two-day hybrid event, and this was last June in the town of Athabasca at the uh, Multiplex, so it was really awesome, and we brought in people from Australia, New Zealand, and of of course across Canada uh, for this two-day hybrid event, and they talked about, you know, cultural values and the significance of that uh, within Indigenous research and Indigenous research methodologies. So we ended up having uh, the two-day hybrid event, and from there, we um, asked people if they would like to participate in podcasts. And so at the time, we thought Kikapiksquiwin would be a great way in which we could, you know, have a future conversation about the significance of our cultural values. Now, I know you're all about storytelling, and I'm all about storytelling, so so can I ask you about what you have in front of you on the table here in studio. Would that be okay? Sure. And, and I wonder if, if, especially for the people that are listening on our podcast that don't have the, the benefit of, of perhaps seeing it on, on YouTube, you have a candle, um, you've got some tobacco. C- can you tell us about this? Sure. So I don't want to mislead anybody like in this conversation that we're having. And certainly like if I'm sharing information, I always like uh, include like tobacco. Tobacco is sacred. We don't um, necessarily smoke all the tobacco. The tobacco is used for uh, different things um, like offerings and whatnot. And so it's uh, it's a plant that we uh, use and respect that we believe um, is one of the first plants put here and that the Uh, that the creator put here for us to use in this particular way. So we use it like as an offering. Um, Also, the water here that we have on the the table is, um, you know, signifies to me um, the importance of kindness, kindness in our conversation. And the flame of the candle represents the honesty, the honesty to come forward and to be able to share. And this uh, rock that I'm holding you know, really connects us back to the um, to the earth and the minerals provided within the earth, and uh, just to be caring, caring for that. And we have all of this wonderful, you know, air to breathe in, and that brings us to this place of like strength and determination to be able to move forward. So, to me, um, you know, when we come from this place of doing indigenous research, it's really grounded, like in our values and our cultural values, and it's really deep, and it's kind of hard to get into, um, you know, in a in a short podcast. But essentially, these cultural values are really important when we're uh, involved in research with indigenous communities. I don't know if if I've heard kindness mentioned as a value in conversation at any point in the last 10 years, to be honest with you. I'm not talking in the context of indigenous research. I'm saying just generally. I wonder, as a matter of fact, and I lament uh, the fact that, that I think I see evidence from time to time that we've lost our priority of, of, of ensuring that kindness or maybe open-mindedness or maybe empathy is a part of conversations that we share. Have you noticed that? I mean, society in general, or am I just being pessimistic? Well, I think each and every day we give thanks uh, for... Uh, you know, having a good future, having a good day, and, and to be able to do so in this way. So uh, kindness really is important. And I think, yes, you're right, that uh, there's a lot of uh, injustices like within the world. Uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls is also um, part of that. And I want to talk up just a little bit about that. Please. Because, uh, you know, I used to be on council for Big Stone Cree Nation from 2014 to 2018. And during that time, that's when they called the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. And of course, um, you know, that social justice issue is ongoing. And of course, that hit close to home uh, for me as well, um, within the community and, and prior. Uh, when you lose a loved one, 
um, you know, I was listening to Charles Adler in the green room. When you lose a when you lose a loved one, the significance of um, symbols um, are really important. Mm. And so I wanted to kind of like share also to us. Um, as Indigenous people, as Cree people, Nihiawak, that um, these are symbols that are also important to us. So when the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls um, call to act, National Inquiry was called to action, and uh, my term had ended um, for Big Stone Cree Nation, I uh, was hired at Athabasca University, and I read a book um, about entitled Conquest, and there, it kind of like spurred me to, you know, do use my research incentive grant, you know, from Athabasca University to be able to uh, talk about like the invasion of sexual boundaries. Why? Why would I talk about that? Because I wanted to know: Can we have healthy self determination if we have not self determined like our sexual boundaries? Mm. And what would that look like? So. We engaged in this research, and um, I did, and I met with uh, five Indigenous women, Cree women, and they referred other Indigenous uh, Cree women into this research project as well. But I had to go through like a research ethics board process at the university, and sometimes like um, it's, it's because... We don't know what we don't know, and if we haven't grown up like with our culture or haven't relearned our culture or mainstream institutions don't understand our culture, it's, it becomes difficult to um, approve something, which is why um, we ended up uh, talking about this podcast on one of these podcast series, and during this two-day event, um, we invited people from all over. Uh, so one of the questions was about... Um, involved if we had parallel pathways where you know we have like indigenous research ethics boards on one side and also um, non-indigenous post-secondary institutions on the other side how are we going to um, how are we going to meet how are we going to cross if we were to imagine it like a riverbank if we have two sides how are we going to cross how are we going to intersect how are we going to learn but on the other side, if if you don't understand, like, I guess, like on indigenous teachings and if indigenous researchers want to, like, engage, like, in ceremony with their, uh, with the people that they're involved in research with, then it's difficult for, like, I think a non-indigenous institution to really understand that process or the significance of that because you get into issues of, like, well, you know, your research could be biased. You're not a you're not a distant you know sure uh, kind of like third part. You're not you're not a distant um, removed distantly removed from the subject matter. You're fully engaged. But on the other side, like with indigenous research, it's all about relationality. Relationality um, means that say if I'm going to be talking to somebody like about. Um, the invasion of sexual boundaries, you know, this is, um, th that's a very concerning topic. It's a concerning topic. And so you want to be able to relate to that person. You want to be able to respect their experience. You want to be able to be responsible in a way that, that these, uh, ish ethical issues, uh, should be addressed. So part of what I did was that I asked them, I asked them how if if you, if if you were triggered, is there um, something that you would like to do? Would you like to see like a therapist? Would you like to see an elder? What would you like to do? So it was up to them to decide if that happened. And all the time they talked about it, they they identified that they would have, you know, someone um, that they could go to, that they could talk to, that they felt comfortable with that, as well. And um, also the importance of. Um, anonymity was discussed like from the uh, the post-secondary institution side they kind of wanted to um, ensure like you know do you you know are these people are the people that you're going to be talking to do they want to remain anonymous or, and how are you going to address that so um, that was one issue and plus the honorarium issue that I provided um, because in our way of um, relating to our communities, we generally provide like an honorarium um, for engaging. It's that reciprocity. Right. Just like this tobacco here, this is reciprocity. Like I'm, I'm going to put this tobacco out after we talk and I'm going to give that back to the earth because mm. um, 
in my belief system that um, these things are helping me have this conversation. So hopefully that, you know, the listeners out there have a kind of an idea of what I'm trying to get at. Can I say, I hope it's okay that I'm pointing this out. I'm just, I, I, I notice things in front of me and they, they occur to me to be significant. You've held the stone in your hand in a closed, not if I say a closed fist, it makes it sound aggressive, but you have it in the, you have the stone resting in the palm of your hand for the entirety of our conversation. You've been holding it. You have your hand closed on, on, on loose tobacco. You've been holding it in your hand the entire time we're speaking. And I don't think I've ever seen that before. This is some. This is a practice that I do, and thank you yeah. for noticing that. But yeah, no, I, I like to hold on to these because um, they give me a sense of, of of purpose. You know, as an indigenous woman, like, and as I get older, our work is never completed, and um, we have to continue to like you know pass on our traditional knowledge um, to our family members, and if our community members would like to know too, then we go we um, share that with them. Our roles are never completed. We just continue to do more work. I've posted a link to your podcast in, in the live chat. And uh, for anybody that's listening or watching this later on YouTube, um, you'll find it in the show notes. Um, it's a series of eight episodes uh, that include indigenous and non-indigenous people from academia, from research ethics boards, indigenous cultural practitioners, uh, and a graduate student. Yes. Uh, what was the process like bringing these different people together from different backgrounds? Did, did you, you must have seen not just sharing of experience and ideas, but also some learning happening along the way. I mean, you must have seen it happening right in front of you. Absolutely. So um, originally, it was a few of us that were writing the Shirt Connection grant, and then we included, uh, there was four of us writing this Shirt Connection grant. Myra Tate was also part of this, Carolyn Green, Anisha Nath, and myself. And um, we uh, used our, the funding that we received, and we um, hired a graduate student, Michaela Lasan, who works out of uh, Rupert's Land, uh, the Métis Center of Excellence. And she provides her experience, um, the graduate student experience, in episode eight. We also have uh, David Powell, um, and Tracy Powell, actually, they've been so instrumental, like in helping me get these podcasts off the ground. And they're from the Athabasca County area. And uh, so we talked about parallel pathways and um, about the impetus for this research on sexual violation with Indigenous women. So I had that conversation with David, and that's in episode seven. Um, other episodes include working, um, talking to Dr. Tiffany Preet, who's with the University of Lethbridge in the Department of Sociology, and she talks about like beadworking as an Indigenous research method. And um, we interviewed like members of our own Athabasca University Research Ethics Board to have this conversation about where do we go from here, how and 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 the significance of building relationships with uh, research ethics boards to c continue that. And we also talked to um, Dr. Susan Manitowabi, who is from Laurentian University, but she um, is an Anishinaabe Kwe, an indigenous woman, and uh, she talked about like their community's First Nations Research Ethics Board. So this was actually implemented 20 years ago. Mm. So it's nice to with see. With success? With success. And so there's like uh, respect on both sides. So the, that river or the parallel pathways, they do once in a while intersect, but really uh, the community or the nation has a, uh, um, a say-so. They make recommendations to the chief and council and the chief and council will then give that um, research approval. Or not? Yeah, there. Uh, I'm so grateful for you being here, by the way, and 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 I hope that you know. Uh, the, I mean, I just feel like there's a million things I could ask you about, and so I hope that I'm taking these in the right directions. Uh, please feel free to take the conversation wherever you like. But you've talked about some very significant things and some very heavy subject matter. Yes, I mean, you know, the, the missing and murdered Indigenous women, women and girls in Canada. I mean, a national inquiry, sure. Uh, but you could make a very compelling argument, and many First Nations do, uh, that the country really isn't doing anything about it, uh, that this is not being treated as seriously as it needs to be treated. Uh, to put it crudely, but probably accurately, uh, if it was white women disappearing from affluent suburbs, uh, this would probably be treated very differently in the country. So how is the nation doing in your assessment? I'm talking the country of Canada right now and, and what's the number one thing you would like this audience to consider in the context of this brilliant question thank you so much uh, for that so in terms of what I would like to see is I'd like to see a multi-juridical legal society I think um, 
And what that basically means is that we have like the common law, we have the civil law, but we also need like a third order, like indigenous um, uh, legal orders. Dr. John Burroughs uh, identifies uh, the the importance and the significance of having this, and and basically having an indigenous legal order would um, help us to bring in like the significance of our our natural laws, our sacred laws, like you know teachings about like our tobacco, uh, the water, the fire, the air that we breathe, the seven sacred teachings that include uh, you know wisdom, honesty, um, respect, love, truth. Uh, humility mm. and uh, I think I said honesty and truth yeah so those ones the seven sacred teachings are really important he writes a lot about them and I think that this would be really important for us to be able to address injustices that happen um, to indigenous peoples if we had our own in- indigenous uh, legal system eventually one day and you know doing research that I have um, with indigenous women I'm, I'm going to go back to writing more about the results because I kind of meandered off into this ethics pathway um, but I, I do want to get back to talking about you know um, healing and the people that were involved in the research were already like on a healing path and they were um, also involved in practice their uh, indigenous culture and traditions so they were well on their way and um, they were willing and open to talk about it and I think it's really important to talk about the importance of healing um, at many different levels of society Uh, you know we've had so many uh, knowledgeable people on this show make the very valid and good point the important point that the truth and reconciliation needs to start with truth uh, it may sound obvious to say it, <laughs> but but it's not that obvious uh, to a lot of us. And um, and I think that that's why, well, number one, I know for a fact that that's why on this show, for example, um, conversations like this are extremely important to yes. us. Um, and, and, and in the pursuit of truth or knowledge or understanding of history and cultural traditions, a podcast like yours is such a valuable resource, not just for indigenous people, obviously, arguably more so for non-indigenous people. Mm-hmm. How is this country doing in the pursuit of the understanding, a deep understanding of the truth of not just the history of Canada, but the history of this land Mm -hmm. before Canada. How are we doing collectively in your assessment? Well, my comment to that is it's lifelong learning. It's really important because not... We don't know everything. We cannot know everything about every single possible thing. But I do think that, um, you know, moving forward that... uh, we have to recognize that, for instance, like even the Indian Act, um, which was enacted in 1876, that's been roughly about seven generations since that um, happened. And that effect of colonialism has had devastating impacts on, on Indigenous people. And it's going to take time. Like truth is like the whole picture. We can honestly share our own experiences, but um, the wider truth is like including more people like there's more voices that need to talk about like the incidences that have happened we've had apologies um, and the apologies are a, a, a starting place we also need to look at the systemic factors and the ways in which that we can um, we can change these and for me um, it's bringing in like our our natural laws our sacred laws for healing because it's not just for like a justice system, um, the foundations of a justice system, but also like it's everything, it's holistic and it includes like our healing mm. and how we can um, help help ourselves to, you know, become uh, the self-actualized human beings and, and connected to our land language um, and culture. There, There's there's like a shared history uh, of, of, I suppose, everyone on planet Earth. Um, and then there are, of course, histories within that. Uh, histories of culture, histories of, of people groups, histories of nations. Uh, and, and it's been very interesting. I want to use two examples here, and, and I'm not necessarily saying that the two have anything to do with one another. But as we've looked at cultural traditions over the past few years, two incidents or two occurrences, two realities occur to me. Number one is uh, these horrific discoveries of unmarked grave, and not discoveries, let me say reminders of unmarked graves outside so many former residential schools, the sites of so many former residential schools, starting with the 215 in Kamloops. And we've heard some people assert that they're going to wait. They're, they're, they're kind of like in the biblical story. They're like the Thomas that, that, that needed the physical proof. 
before they take something seriously. They want, they, 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 they're suggesting that these graves should be unearthed, that they should be dug up. That, 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 and of course, we've also talked to many uh, first indigenous leaders that have said, well, that is a nation by nation decision on how that will be navigated or how that will be handled. There's a sensitive history there for obvious reasons. And then there are doubters in the public that say, where's the evidence? Where's the proof? Another story. I'm not comparing this to residential schools. However, there's a project, an infrastructure project that's been proposed in the city of Edmonton. I'm sure you're aware of it. This prairie sky gondola that people wanted to build. Now, the only problem was one of the gondola stations was slated to be uh, right by the Epcor power plant, which happens to be a very significant cultural spot, a burial location uh, for for uh, indigenous communities that have been here uh, for millennia, uh, for thousands of years. And I think as a casual observer, it's safe to say that that gondola right now is probably a non-starter based on the fact that that land right there is so significant to people that have used this as a gathering place uh, for thousands of years. There seems to be a very strong awareness among indigenous people about the cultural and historical significance of some of these lands. But among the greater public, there's not that shared understanding yet. How do we get there? Can we get there? I think so. Um, and I have hope. I always have hope in, in, in um, relationality between indigenous people and non-indigenous people. I think that there's, uh, there's hope. There's always hope. I'd like to, you know, think about treaty federalism. We are not um, stakeholders. We are rights holders. Mm. And when I think about treaty federalism, I think about uh, the work of, you know, other indigenous scholars, and, and they talk about the importance of recognizing that Canada wouldn't be a country if it wasn't for like the treaties being signed. So if the treaties were signed and they're based on natural law and sacred law, that should be coming first and foremost. Um, I know that some people, you know, will of course like strongly disagree with that. But then I say it's lifelong learning and it's about like understanding the significance of renewed uh, treaty conversations with indigenous people and recognizing, um, you know, the tragedy of the residential schools, the genocide, the cultural genocide within the residential schools, and the effects that that's had on um, generations of people, um, families, communities, not knowing that their families were, um, uh, the significance of families being torn apart and not knowing lost loved ones or not knowing that they would have had like a, you know, an auntie or a sister or, or somebody or a brother or an uncle um, and, and what that would have looked like and how that would have contributed to their family and their overall wellness and uh, community wellness. So we have a lot of healing to do. And um, this, this is one way that, you know, I, I believe that um, helps helps people who are willing um, heal. I'm so grateful that you, you, you continue to, to use that natural history focus, you know, and, and I've always just as, as a white guy, if I could put it casually, I've even found beauty in the language of the treaties. You know, I mean, you look at the language of the treaties, the promises that were made to last as long as the sun shines, the grass grows, and rivers flow. Yes. And you don't see typical contracts written up like that. You know, they're very unique promises uh, in a spirit uh, that I think that most of us could use a reminder around every once in a while. I think it's really important, too, to recognize that... Um Indigenous women also have had a significant role like in those conversations, although albeit that they weren't at, say, um, those uh, ceremonies that were conducted between, you know, I'll say uh, non-Indigenous men and, um, you know, Indigenous men. So uh, they weren't part of that, but uh, there's um, documentation and oral history in and around uh, the, the role that Indigenous women played and um, and how indigenous women have been um, revered because of, um, because of their gender um, and because they're life givers and that significance and connection 
to uh, the earth is um, also very much grounded in our belief systems. So where do you go from here? Where do I go from here? Well, first of all, I'm going to go put this tobacco out. <laughs> um, can you, can you, is, is that personal or can you give us some insight into how you will do that? I just, into the process? I, I just put it to the earth. I just put it to the earth. I give thanks. I give thanks for the day. I give thanks for having this conversation um, here with you mm. and also in your beautiful studio. Um, and I uh, just give thanks and give thanks and put it out to the earth. So that's what I'll be doing. And I guess continue on with writing. I have a bit of uh, annual research leave coming up and I'm hoping to get some writing done. Amazing. Um, I, I feel like I made a new friend here and uh, we're so grateful for the expertise that you shared with us. And, and it really is remarkable. Your your project, uh, Kika Big Screw In, people can check out the uh, link in the show notes on the podcast and on YouTube if they'd like to check out the project. Um, and I want to thank you for your time. Thank you. Uh, this is really, uh, can I, can I say, can I embarrass you a little bit for a second? Can I, can I read some praise for you in our live chat? Wow. Uh, there was something I love doing this to, you know, can I say like Tracy says this lovely lady shines with her knowledge of both historical and current events. Tracy says this interview made my week. Awesome. Uh, that from Tracy who's listening. Uh, what, what about this one? I saw another one, which was amazing. People were talking about your spirit, which, which I, I loved. Uh, uh, I mean, there's just too many comments. Shoot. There's too many comments. I can't scroll back far enough to find where, where somebody said, but just uh -huh. talking about the, basically your vibe and, uh, and what you give off and the, and the fact that I think that you're going to make this understanding and this knowledge um, so approachable for people, uh, which is obviously a huge credit to you. Mm, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's Dr. Josie Oje. Uh, again, you can check out the podcast wherever you get your podcast, and we'll link to it in our show notes. This conversation has been presented by, as you might imagine, our great friends at Athabasca University. And we've been reminded here about the role that Athabasca is playing when it comes to research in Canada, uh, one of Canada's leading research institutions. And you can learn more about what a post-secondary experience at Athabasca can look like. Find out how AU works and your programs and courses at AthabascaU.ca. The best part about studying at Athabasca University, their, their world-class accredited online programs and courses are designed to offer you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. Check them out today at AthabascaU. Ca. If you're looking for a plan to make Mom's Day, Mother's Day that is coming up on Sunday, as sweet as you possibly can, can we suggest a visit to the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park? You'll find them in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Give Mom the sweetest gift. That's a Mother's Day cake. You can order now online, or you can just go check out the selection in store. You know, this is the moment of sweet celebration brought together with that signature fudge and crunch center surrounded by their world-famous soft serve. It's time to celebrate your mom and reflect on sweet memories while creating a new tradition at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Are you envisioning a transformation this spring? I'm talking in your outdoor space, your biggest investment, your home. May we suggest a quick call or an in-person visit with the team at Eden Landscaping. You can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. And that's where you can check out. I mean, the portfolio is a great reference point to see the finished projects, right? You can see photos of what they've done. Or you can start to use your own imagination and check out their services. Whatever your vision is, they'll execute it with precise attention to detail. Full service landscaping from excavation all the way through to finished project. That could include edible garden boxes. Hey, maybe you run a gas line out to your garage, put it on a thermostat so by the time that autumn hits, you're ready to enjoy that warmth and consistency every morning in your vehicle. Imagine not having to idle your vehicle every morning. Help the planet help yourself and experience working with paving stone, wood, concrete, tile, and steel to construct hardscapes like outdoor flooring and more. It's all part of what Eden Landscaping offers. Again, you can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. This is a call out to professional engineers across Canada, including recent graduates. I mean, we're going to have a whole new crop of bright young talent graduating from engineering schools like 
you know, Alberta, you know, of course, BC, Saskatchewan, and across the country. Apex Automation wants to hear from you. They're hiring right now. Their main expertise, industrial control systems engineering and software development solutions for any industrial process. Yeah, that's right. Whether it's natural gas, chemical manufacturing, robotics, material handling, like overhead cranes or conveyor belts, pipelines, upstream oil extraction facilities, you name it. There's a bright career that lies in wait for you. If you want to work somewhere where they put their people ahead of profits, check out apexautomation.ca. Johnny, we always love when a guest like Dr. Oje mentions our studio. Mm-hmm. Really appreciate that. She's right. It is a beautiful studio. And that's thanks to the team at Complete Care Restoration. When we took this place over, it was fine. It was <laughs> all right. It was okay. But it wasn't spectacular. There was a water leak in an area and, of course, some soundproofing that had to be done. And we put our tall order in front of the team at Complete Care Restoration, and they nailed it. Like, I'm not I'm not talking they came close. They did a decent job. I'm saying they nailed it. Now, they do construction and renovation. They also do, as the name would suggest, restoration. So, I mean, if you encounter that nightmare, a spring shower brings a basement flood. Let's say the nightmare unfolds and you experience a fire in your garage or your kitchen. Maybe you need work done and you need to trust the team that's doing it. Take our recommendation with two thumbs up and check them out online at CompleteCareRestoration.ca. And a quick reminder that Friday's going to be here before you know it, and that means another episode, another edition of Trash Talk that's presented by our friends at Local Environmental Services. If you're in Alberta or Saskatchewan and you're a decision maker, whether that's for a small business, a big business, or an entire community, Local Environmental Services is your full-service environmental solutions partner. They have a ton of different ways that they can help you And it's going to work with your budget, too. They love to compete for your business, especially if you're currently with one of those big multinational companies. Whether it's front load bins, roll off bins, recycling, landfill, water hauling, vacuum trucks or more. Check out localenvironmental.ca today. Now, we've got a lot of ground to cover, and of course, right at the top of our to-do list is the continuing storylines of the Alberta election. That's where we'll go back to on tomorrow's Real Talk. Coming up on Thursday, circle your calendars. Public Safety Minister Bill Blair will join us. I want to ask him about today's report in the National Post that suggests that the Liberals' Safe Supply Initiative is a big fail on the opioid epidemic front. We'll get the details on that. Coming up Friday, filmmaker Omar Mualim on the Lebanese Burger Mafia, and it sounds like we'll be sitting down with a pretty high-profile guest. We'll see. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General Manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.